0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host, Lindsey Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from somewhat balmy Portland. Yeah, it's kind of confusing today. It's it's nice. Austin Gill.
1: Hey, coming at you from the end of the world bunker in San Diego.
0: <laughs> and our special guest today is Amir. I'm not sure how to say your last name. I'm yeah, sorry. Is it Rustam Zada?
2: That's pretty close. That's pretty good. Yeah,
0: it's a challenging Rustemzada. last name, but yeah. I just I just go simply by uh, by Amir. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Amir. Could you introduce yourself for everybody so we know who you are, what you do? Sure, sure, no problem. Well, I'm coming to you uh, from the Cypress offices in downtown Atlanta,
2: and yeah, my name is Amir Estanzade, and I uh, lead the Developer Experience Engineering team here at Cypress.
3: Nice. One of the most popular pairings for Vue on the front end is Laravel or PHP on the back end. If you're setting up and running a PHP app, then why hassle with all the back end config? Instead, count on Cloudways. Cloudways provides a solution that will have you up and running quickly. They offer exceptional performance and reliability and 24-7 support. So your website or your web app, which is probably crucial to your business, will run in an environment designed for it. Go run it on Cloudways. If you use the code DEVCHAT, you'll get 30% off for three months.
0: A little bit curious before we dive into Cypress, how did you get into that kind of role? What led you in that direction for your career? Yeah, sure.
2: So uh, my my I guess that path is a little uh, different than most. I my background is actually originally in electrical engineering. So what I usually say is I shouldn't be writing JavaScript, but here I am. So yeah, I came from more of the academic background, mostly in the aerospace and robotics field. But uh, you know, I'm always kind of looking forward to working on things that I think have a lot of impact. And when I stand, stumbled upon Cypress in the early days you know, it really resonated with me because I was working on a lot of web projects at the time and I needed better ways to test. And uh, one of the ways I start, started actually using Cypress was uh, via my usage of Vue itself. Um, I was trying to figure out ways to kind of do better end-to-end testing on components. And I found this uh, this kind of like hacky plugin for doing just that um, with Cypress, but it had some issues. So I kind of, you know, went and resolved some of those issues. And then that kind of led me to discover Cypress and the Cypress team. And then uh, that just led me to join Cypress eventually. And it's been, uh, it's been a fun ride since then. Uh, we were kind of a smaller company. It was the earlier days, um, about two years ago. But now we've kind of grown to be uh, a much uh, larger company, um, and we're scaling as we speak. So it's been, uh, it's been a pretty
0: fun ride. Awesome. So, so Cypress isn't just a testing framework, right? You, you said it's a company as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the, to kind of give some background on Cypress itself, I mean, it, it, it started as just a one-man project. Brian Mann, the
0: founder and creator, started,
2: he started writing around uh, 2014. And, you know, he got to the point where he saw that, hey, you know, to really solve this problem, he needs to kind of build a company around it. Um, and that kind of led to the creation of the company. And then it was, you know, properly funded and so on and so forth. And, and he was right for doing that because this is, you know, getting testing right and building a proper testing tool um, is a lot of work. It's, a, it's a quite an immense challenge. Um, controlling browsers in a unique way is actually uh, not a trivial task at all. Um, so, you know, creating company kind of uh, added bandwidth to, to kind of going after this uh, problem. And so Cypress itself is, is, uh, is MIT, fully open sourced and will always be so. Uh, tool, but uh, but it kind of has the backing of IO, the company, um, to kind of make its development sustainable um, for the long term, and that has kind of given um, you know a solid foundation for the growth of Cypress. And uh, things have been really uh, you know growing. Uh, Cypress has you know seen a lot of traction, even you know just in the past few days when we came out of beta, the the growth has been really like hockey stick style. Um, people really love the experience; uh, they love kind of what it enables in their day-to-day workflow. And actually, I think uh, in the past week uh, we just recently surpassed our uh, 1 million weekly downloads on npm. I think we're approaching 20,000 stars on GitHub, so it's it's been a pretty healthy progression. Woo! That, yeah. that is awesome. Yeah, it's it's really a tremendous. Uh, you know, uh, it's all it's all beyond like you know what the team has accomplished. I, I think uh, one of the reasons behind the success of Cypress so far has just been like the specific individuals that have been you know building the tool, building the company and all the infrastructure you know, that's needed to, to make it all hum on a daily basis. So um, I think Cypress is a very good example of you know, creating a sustainable open source project and then also building a, a sustainable company around that, which allows you know, the safety net and the confidence people need to adopt the tool into their day-to-day workflow. Because you know, as we see on a day-to-day basis, JavaScript frameworks and libraries and things come and go. People kind of chase the new hotness here and there, especially in our industry. But Cypress is, you know, is here for the long term and it's here to really give web developers a solid solution when it comes to testing anything that runs in the web.
1: So to to take a little side note here, so how is the business model for the company set up if we're based on an open source? Is it sort of the freemium type project where we're open source and then if you want additional premium features, you pay for them? Or uh, how's that work?
2: Yeah, sure. So we don't actually do that. The tool itself is completely full featured and we don't like entangle it with anything else. Um, As I said, it's MIT licensed. But we offer, we have a dashboard service, Cypress dashboard service. And, you know, when you're in a bigger company um, and you're working and collaborating on larger projects, uh, this dashboard service complements your CI. So it gives you better introspection into, you know, your tests while they're running in CI because, you know, CI is kind of like this black box and you don't get to see what's going on. And the web and the web applications are highly dynamic, highly visual. You kind of need to see what's going on uh, to debug problems that come up. come up. So uh, the dashboard service kind of gives folks a lot of introspection and organization and insights into their tests and CI, but it's a completely complimentary thing. It's purely optional. Uh, it's not something we, we really like push on people at all. It's not really our style. And, you know, for us, it's like, if you're successful with the open source part of Cypress, if we're bringing value to you in that aspect, and if you're working on a large enough project and a large enough team, uh, you know, you'll naturally, you know, Uh, Seek out some of this, uh, some of the functionality that we offer in our dashboard.
1: I have to comment. I like the uh, the naming conventions for your different levels of the dashboard. And go from seed to sprout to tree to forest.
2: Yeah, Yeah, we we got a we got a tree thing going on. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that makes sense with cypress. So yeah, I like that. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I mean uh, that's a good option. And one thing I should mention about uh, the dashboard is. and we we'll don't have to spend too much time on it, but uh, we actually do offer a completely full, full-featured version of the dashboard for open-source projects. So if you have an open-source project that you think can benefit from something like the Cypress dashboard, um, you can put in a request and we'll give you a full-on, full-featured plan to uh, you
0: know, help develop your open-source project. So before we keep diving into Cypress, I'd like to maybe review what is Cypress trying to solve? What, it, what is the use of it for a sure. developer?
2: Sure. So, um, you know, Cypress is always evolving, but the the, the core kind of use case for it um, currently and, and going back to its original foundation is that, you know, it's a tool that helps you test your apps running in a real web browser. So it is, you know, often compared to things like Selenium, uh, which have kind of been like the tools that have been around for a very long time. And what Cypress provides, um, in contrast to, you know, uh, tools like Selenium and all the other kind of Selenium wrappers that have existed in the past, it provides people a tool um, that's super easy to install. Um, you just do npm install Cypress into your project and that's it. You don't need to install anything else. But it's really easy to get up and running. And the other part that it provides, is kind of this really nice developer experience, which is, you know, what Cypress is really known for. It gives people a really nice workflow and iteration patterns when you're working on large end to end tests. It also gives you a really nice API to compose tests. So the Cypress API is is like very intuitive and almost English like. So you can, like, if you're looking at Cypress tests, uh, and if you, and if you've never seen Cypress tests before, you can actually just look at it and it will just make immediate sense. Everything is very, uh, um, easy to read. And so Cypress kind of provides this nice developer experience and, and the, the, the test runner, which is like the open source tool, that's what we call the test runner. Um, you know, once you, once you turn it on and it opens up, it, it loads your app um, in, in the browser, but we have this like side panel, which we call the command log. And as your tests are running, uh, you get to kind of see your app run right, right alongside your tests. Um, so you can kind of see every test that gets executed every little command, every little network request that happens while that test is getting executed, and you get to kind of see your app, you know, in that state at that point in time. So it allows you to, you know, um, have a high level of introspection while you're composing your tests and to, and to just see your, how your app behaves during any particular action or state mutation. And then, you know, the cool thing is that it's all running in the browser and, and you have access to DevTools, so you can pop up DevTools, and Now you have this power to edit um, to debug your tests and your app at the same time, which is which is very powerful. Um, that's just kind of like the surface level of what you get, um, but it, it gives you a lot more. For example, um, you can actually time travel uh, through the state of your app um, via kind of you know uh, the command log that we offer, so you can be like you can see how exactly your app looked like before or after a network request or before and after a UI mutation. If you click something or you type something, you just get to see how your app um changes as your tests are getting executed, which is really powerful. Um, because you know, as if you've ever seen browser automation with your own eyes, it happens super fast. The human can't really can't really uh keep up. Uh so what Cypress gives you is, you know, this really nice experience to just see it all happen in your own kind of you know context and 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 speed and
1: pace. So I think the bigger thing we want to clarify though is is compare it with something like Jest and that Cypress is what's considered end-to-end testing, start to finish, versus something like Jest is more, okay, I'm going to test this small piece of functionality and make sure it works by itself. So can you talk a little bit about that? How Sure. About yeah. End-to-end testing overall in
2: general? Yeah. So, you know, Jest is, um, I think it's like one of those fundamental testing frameworks, which you can use for all sorts of testing. So Jest, you know, what it does out of the box pretty simply is, uh, you know, unit test. Uh, which is the type of testing that most folks are used to, which is you know testing you know small pieces of logic, functions, and so on and so forth, you know, in a in a very isolated and uh, you know succinct manner. Um, but you can not you can do end-to-end testing with Jest. You just have to couple it with other tools to make it possible, and you kind of have to glue all that together to make it happen. What Cypress provides is you know underneath, Cypress is actually using Mocha. That's the underlying test framework. But what it really provides is this holistic, you know, experience around end-to-end tests. So it's not just about like, oh, hey, I have a testing, you know, runner, a test runner just to run, execute these tests. What you really need is all the other additional APIs, utilities, views, and patterns and workflows to kind of bring that like final value to the developer, which is like, hey, this is kind of like how you go about doing end-to-end tests. So for example, you know, with Jest, if you want to do some end-to-end testing, a lot of people are kind of kind of coupling it with other tools like, uh, you know, WebDriver or Puppeteer or something like that. And then when you do that, you have to do, you know, a bunch of additional work on on the side to kind of get that up and running. And so, so it's still possible to do end-to-end tests with with uh, both tools. And so most people use Jest for unit tests, and with Cypress, it's you know currently in its current state, it's focused on doing end-to-end testing really well. You can do unit tests if you wanted to, but it's not like a like a recommendation because you do have to bring up a whole browser to do it in. Um, you know, we do have, you know, thoughts about that moving forward, but we'll not have to dive into that right now. But yeah, Cypress, you know, when it runs, it provisions a real web browser. It brings up a real web browser. It pulls in your web app. Um, and then it starts testing, uh, um, executing uh, commands against your web app as you prescribed in your, in your test files.
1: So an nj end test might, for instance, be, a user logs in, he goes to yes, this page, yes. he fills out a form, he
2: saves the form, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so unit tests are very good at, you know, testing a smaller unit of your code. You know, so a simple function is a good great example. You provide a certain input, it gives you a certain output, and then you can assert on that output. An end-to-end tests, uh, you know, essentially validates all the layers of your application. So the UI layer... Your, uh, your backend layer, your database layer, other third-party services that are involved in that. There's a lot to go in, that goes into kind of, you know, giving users that final view and functionality. So end-to-end tests, um, just running against your actual backend and, and UI, kind of validate all those layers and give you that whole holistic view. So you can use it for, you know, a login flow to kind of validate that um, registration flow, you know, add to cart flow, um, all sorts of things. Pretty much end-to-end tests are there to act just like a real user. They drive real user actions against a real browser. And that's how you can get like, that ultimate confidence that everything works um, because everything is getting tested in the process.
1: So you're only commuting, communicating through the browser as compared to, say, having code in a test that actually makes the API call behind the scenes. It's, everything is communicated
0: through the browser. Is that correct?
2: Yes, so that's, that's one way of, of looking at it. And that's probably like the, the ideal way where you don't really touch the implementation uh, of, of the app itself. So your tests are not the ones driving the requests or anything like that. You're purely acting just like a user would. Now, with that said, there are various cases um, and scenarios where it will be actually more efficient for you to programmatically do certain things and instead of kind of acting like a user. So I'll give you an example. You know, login, login scenario is a really good one. Well, for any app, you need to truly validate that your login flow works. If users can't log in, they can't use the app, so nothing else matters. Now, you should definitely have one end-to-end test that validates your login UI. So, you know, the test goes in there, types in username, password, clicks login, and you can now feel confident that that whole thing works. But the thing is, a lot of views in an app probably require some sort of authentication. They need the user to be logged in. So it doesn't make sense. It's not really efficient for every time you need to do that, The you know your tests have to go back to the login page, log in uh, just like a real user would, driving UI events and so on and so forth. And then they can start what they wanted to do. At that point, it, it, re- it would be efficient to just programmatically log in a user so you don't have to go through the UI layer and that makes, you know, other tests quick. But that doesn't mean you skip having a test that does validate the UI of the login. It just means you have that, you have confidence. And then for your other tests, you can just programmatically do that. And there are various cases where you will want to do something like this. Um, and the cool thing about Cypress is, and that's, this is kind of what it, is one way that it differs from other tools, is that Cypress runs within the same execution run loop as your app. It's, it lives within the browser itself, the same browser as your app. So Cypress actually has direct programmatic access to your app, um, allowing you to tap into the internal state of your app if you need to make a certain assertion. Like if you're using VueX, for example, you can tap into VueX, assert the state of VueX if you needed to. You can even call VueX actions and things like that or mutations. So it gives you that level of flexibility and that power. And the fact that it runs within the same kind of context as your app in the browser, it allows it to actually have you know, to know what's going on. It's not this thing that lives outside of the browser and can only kind of like knock on the door to see what's going on. And this allows Cypress to, you know, know all the events that are happening, all the changes that are happening in the browser, which reduces, you know, flakiness by a significant amount um, because it's just, it's living in the same world as your app. Um, And so one of the problems with traditional tooling uh, is that, because you are only looking from the outside in, you would, it's very easy to miss events and occurrences within your app that allows for you know flakiness to happen. So you often see you know in code that's not Cypress, uh, people add superficial waits and timeouts just before just on just so they could kind of go to the next step in the test. With Cypress, you're not really doing that. Cypress actually automatically waits uh, for a lot of things to happen within the browser before it moves forward. Um, which kind of makes composing tests a lot easier.
1: Amir, so you, you touched on something that I w- I'd like to look back into, which is um, I mean, I know this isn't the best medium for talking code, but uh, when you say that you can reach into like a Vuex store and see the state and make assertions against the state, like, you know, I can, let's say I have a, a page and I want Cypress to go to the login form and then fill out the form and then log in the user, I would assume that, you know, maybe I have a Vuex store set up, and then I have the user object kind of in
2: this global store. Can you walk through, like, what that actually looks like in more detail from a code perspective? So the place where you're actually declaring your store, your Vuex store, so you're doing const store equals Vuex, right? Um, now, in your code, you can actually, you can actually say if, uh, if Cypress... Because Cypress is, is actually um, a, a global that gets added to, um, to window, the global object that's available to everyone. And then if you, get, you can actually test, you can actually have it so that uh, your app will add the store variable, the global store, to the window object um, if it's, if it's uh, being ran in Cypress. Um, And at that point, you can easily tap into window and grab that store instance. So you just need to kind of attach whatever you want to to a global uh, while your app is under test, and then you can easily tap into that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that that totally makes sense. I'm just thinking, so really the feature
1: that Cypress adds is a global check to see whether
2: uh, Cypress is available.
1: Because you could exactly. do that with any, other, with any other framework that provides just that check. Like, hey, is my environment Cypress or not? I could still do the whole, like, attach VueX information to the global object.
2: Yes, yeah. So okay. you can detect but, yeah. Cypress, you, you attach your store instance to the global object, and then Cypress has, a, Cypress has a command where you can grab, you know, the window object and tap into anything. But if you were doing something like that with, uh, with tools that are kind of outside of the browser context... This becomes a little bit, a uh, little bit more challenging. Yeah, no, I, di- I didn't mean to like discredit the the work that Cypress is putting in there. I think like
1: that alone is kind of an example of uh, a super powerful feature
2: uh, built into just a very, you know, uh, how, can I, how can I put this? An, an unexpectedly simple but powerful yeah, tool. Yeah. It's you know the way you have to think about it. It's just JavaScript, right? And it's JavaScript within the same execution round loop. So it's kind of like you're, there's so many different ways you can kind of tap into, you know, objects and components and things like that. Um, it's all kind of just, you know, there for, um, for you to kind of figure out how you're doing. And this example was for Vuex specifically, um, but if you are kind of architecting your app with, like, just even vanilla JavaScript, you know, then it's totally different then too, right? But the cool thing really here is that you just have this direct native, like, JavaScript access to your app while it's under test in the browser.
0: Yeah, right on. So, is there anything specific to get Cypress working well with Vue? Is there any any plugins or any any setup that you would recommend to getting it working with a Vue application?
2: Sure. So, you know, the cool thing here is that um, the answer is really no, because it will just work out of the box uh, with uh, with really any web app that's running any framework. Now, with Vue, the Vue CLI has actually integrated Cypress in. So when you're uh, scaffolding or provisioning a new project with the Vue CLI, it will actually ask you, like, would you like to add Cypress? And then if you say yes, it will kind of scaffold like a nice project directory um, there for you, and then you can just uh, start, start there. Um, so that's kind of made Cypress uh, you know, just even easier to get up and running when you're using Vue. Now, you know, Cypress is currently geared towards um, end-to-end tests, But, you know, we are looking into how we can improve the state of component testing in general. And so, you know, once we go down that route, then um, I think we'll have things that are very specific to each different framework when testing that. Because a lot of times when people talk about testing in in, in all the framework realms, uh, even if you go to, like, the testing docs for, you know, Vue, React, and so on and so forth, it's all kind of attacking and covering component tests. That's kind of the round where everybody's comfortable at. So that's what a lot, a lot of the thought has gone into. Um, so we got you know nice things like U test utils. There's a testing library. Um, you know React has kind of comes with its own little thing. Angular has its own little like utility. Um, so that's that's something else that we find interesting that we would will, will like to go after when it comes when it, and that's framework specific. But you know the thing with with Cypress is it, you can, it's easy to just kind of add to your view project that new or pre-existing and then it's uh, then you can just kind of start adding spec files as you need them.
1: So I'm looking at some of your blog posts on the Cypress blog and so was it a couple last month you talked about Firefox and edge support in Cypress so I assume there's different things you have to do for Cypress uh, to work with the various rendering engines is that the is why you have yeah. had, had some browsers and not the others or what's the kind of stuff that you have to
2: deal with sure. Yeah, so you know, Cypress has this unique architecture. We don't we don't use any of the kind of other patterns, like ways of automating the browser. And so it's it's a it's its own unique thing. And so whenever we add support for a new browser, it's like custom built, you know, for that particular browser engine. And we recently added uh Firefox support in the recent uh in the recent release, which was uh version 4.0. And then you know, we also Woo. added support, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> A lot of people are pretty excited about the, the Firefox support. And uh, we also added, you know, support for other kind of Chrome-based browsers like uh, the new Edge um, as well. Um, you know, just some people, it, it's, we, add, we add those because some people are using different browsers on their local developer machines. So it's like you just have that option um, as well. And then when you're running in CI, you know, uh, we provide like Docker images with various browser versions kind of ready to go for you. So do you support the older versions of
1: Edge, like Edge 11, uh, the, the pre-Chromium versions? No, we don't
2: support the, the old Edge, no. We just support okay. the, the new Chromium ones, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of like where, where things are heading at. Um, other browsers are, are in consideration, and um, I have actually issues up on the main Cypress repo about this. Um, so you know, we're kind of getting feedback from people. There's obviously a lot of demand for adding more, more browsers, for us, it's really a matter of prioritization. Um, It's kind of like we kind of see the whole big picture uh, because we get to hear everyone's feedback. And so um, we kind of see like, you know, does it suit us to, you know, invest resources into kind of expanding uh, our coverage for all other browsers or focus on other cool features that I think will also bring a lot of value to people.
3: Are you freelancing or moonlighting? Or maybe you've thought about going out on your own? Every week we have a group of developers at various stages of a freelancing journey on the Freelancer show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing SEO and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com
1: Now the one browser that I think it's most important to support and I think most people would agree with this is i e6 do you have i e6 support?
2: Yeah, exactly it's just, <laughs> it's just a it's a weekend project so I mean if, if there's enough people I can you know we can just bust that out. <laughs>
1: Good, good, because that, that's always crucial
2: for web developers yeah, these days. Exactly. <laughs> um, Exactly. You know, we, we, we love to support them all, but, you know, it's a it's a matter of prioritization. And, and it kind of, you know, a lot of people have adopted Cypress despite the fact that it doesn't immediately support like things like older IE browsers. And the reason for that is because, you know, a lot of people were not even testing and not doing the types of tests that Cypress kind of does really well, which is like, big end-to-end integration type tests. And the reason for that was because, um, honestly, the, the tooling wasn't, wasn't really user-friendly or beginner-friendly. Um, I know that was my personal experience, too, when uh, when kind of using uh, other tools. And what we have really seen is that Cypress isn't just another testing tool or testing framework. What it has really accomplished, and this is why it has been so successful, is because it made testing approachable and accessible to a lot of people that had not even considered testing as a thing they can do. Um, and this is for even for um, developers that are pretty experienced. You know, I, I've done a lot of Cypress workshops all around the world. And, and what I see is that you, you'll meet like veteran devs that you think just have all these opinions and, and thoughts about how to test an app. But they'll just come to me and say like, Mir, testing is just one of those things that I've just kind of always... Put on the back burner, it's always been an afterthought. Just show me how to do this, show me how to do this. And so it's um so search, so Cypress has just not been like, oh, hey, here's another tool, here's another thing you can learn. It's just like, oh, hey, you can actually now like consider testing as a thing you can actually do. And it's not this like thing where you're it, you know, where people like pretend like, oh yeah, I totally eat my vegetables. Yeah, sure, I do that, but then they really don't. And so people are actually using Cypress to test for the very first time in their careers. And this has also kind of made it a lot easier for folks that are just joining the field. You know, we have more developers coming from all sorts of backgrounds um, now. And Cypress actually makes testing uh, you know, highly accessible and really enjoyable. You, know, you kind of see people's faces when they run, right like their first test and they kind of see it run visually in front of them. And they're like, wow, that was like easy. I can, I can do this, like this makes sense. And so it's kind of really opened up testing, where in the past it was kind of one of those things uh, that people just ignored. You know, it wasn't the cool thing to talk about. It wasn't like, oh, here's the next cool, you know, framework that does all these fancy things with your app. It's kind of like this thing we all really need to do well, but haven't really given it the time of day. Um, and the folks that have, or you know, were just from very large teams that had the resources like QA dedicated departments, departments and things like that. But now developers are the ones that are like really, really empowered to write these types of tests. Um, And we're kind of seeing that change the organization structures too. Whereas like in the past, you might have had like entire QA teams that might have done manual testing, uh, which is a very slow feedback loop, right? Um, Now you see um, developers are the ones like actually writing tests before they push their code and they're not just doing that for the sake of the project, but they're just doing that for their own sake because they're like, hey, before I push my code and I bother the rest of my team with it, like I know for a fact that my code works before I push it up. They have that confidence now. Um, and so that's that's kind of been like, you know, one of the awesome things to see um, as, as a byproduct of like what the Cypress developer experience has been. And so, you know, a lot of times people ask like, I mean, you're like, what's the who's? Are you worried about this competitor? Are you worried about that tool? Are you worried about like who is Cypress competing with? And there's other tools that are doing all, you know, novel things in interesting ways as well. But that's not really how we look at it. Um, we know we have like a you know a very nice user base, um, and we're giving them a lot of value. And really, the way I, the, the the competitor to Cypress I describe as ignorance, because you know if if testing is hard because of the tooling then, like, who cares, you know, who cares uh, what the tool is? Like, the, the the true value is just making things easy enough just so people write test, period, regardless of what browser it is at all. Because end-to-end test is initially just to validate that your app functionally works, period. And then you can kind of go down, like, the minute route of, like, oh, well, this one particular thing is a little different in this browser. And that's different in that browser. And a lot of those cases you can actually get rid of be uh, a good good visual testing setup. So, in other words, you could say
1: Cypress has created democratization of testing among developers.
2: I hope so. I don't want to make a general claim, but uh, <laughs> but you know it, it it has without a doubt made testing more accessible um, to to a lot more people. Just because like we see it firsthand, where because of Cypress, people are writing tests for the very first time.
0: Yeah, I've, I'll I'll second that from. The experience I have at work, we have a, a developer on my team who discovered Cypress and was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. Started writing tests for all of his personal stuff to learn it. Then he brought it in to our, our project and started writing uh, end-to-end tests for our entire application. So I can definitely see what you're saying, how it's how it's easy for someone to just pick up and run with, uh, even if they've been doing things a completely different way for however long.
2: For a very long time. And you know, the thing we see uh, in the wild is that um, you know, a lot of the times, you know, big automation QA type tools that have kind of, you know, exist, there's, it's a whole industry in and of itself. These are things that are kind of get entrenched within large enterprises and large companies or, you know, or somebody moved from one company and they did it like that in the past. And these things are just tools that kind of get, you know, trickled down to developers and developers just have to use that. Um, but with Cypress, the equations kind of flipped. Uh, What we see happen is that developers kind of fall in love with it by themselves on side projects, their personal projects, or they kind of see some other developer using it on a, on like a cool project. And then they start actually like, you know, playing around with it and then they go ahead and demo it to the rest of their team. And then, and then then it naturally kind of comes into an organization like that. Um, So it's, it's been, the growth has kind of been like purely organic and um, I would say like, you know, highly authentic. It's just kind of like the product itself has just been like, you know, uh opening the doors uh for itself, um, as it kind of moves in, in these organizations. So it's really like the developer love that has to have pushed Cypress to be where it's at.
4: Yeah, I gotta say with my experience, it was kind of the same. I was turned on to it by, I don't know, maybe an article I read and gave it a try. And it was, you know, I had briefly considered maybe possibly kind of sorta doing the uh God, what's that what's that framework that was there before that whole like enterprise system uses? No, oh, you mentioned it like earlier. Selenium. The, selenium. Uh, selenium. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like I like maybe thought about that and I was like, whoa, this is way, way too much. And then I was like, all right, let's give this Cypress thing a try. And you know, you write your first test and by the time you finish, you're like, wait, is that it? So it's pretty great. Um it's definitely very approachable. And I think one of the coolest features or one of the features that is like the most like, you know, it's gonna knock your socks off is uh that we haven't mentioned is the video.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Like
4: it'll record video for you and just like store it in your in your uh project. And it's yeah, it's super cool to be like, hey, check out this check out this video that this thing made and watch it go through like this whole automated sequence.
2: Yeah, it's uh that's you're right. That's kind of one of the first things people see because they don't expect they're gonna get it. Uh then it just kind of comes like it's like dropped right, right in their laps and they're like, whoa, what just happened? Um so yeah, when you run Cypress uh, you know, in a in a headless manner or we call it run mode, um, Cypress will actually generate a full MP4 video of your entire test run and just kind of drop that in like a in like a folder. Um for you there. And it also takes an automatic screenshot when there is a failure. Um, and this all happens when it's, when you don't have the browser open up visually, so you can't like physically see what's going on. So you need these artifacts, videos and screenshots to help you kind of figure out what happened. And you know this is kind of cool locally, but the true power and the benefit of, of it comes when you're actually running stuff in CI, where you don't get to see what's going on. So like if you are know running cypress and CI, you're gonna run it headlessly. And then Cypress is gonna give you these videos and screenshots, which you can cache in your CI environment and so on and so forth. You kind of have to handle the, you know, just like with any other CI run. You have to kind of manage how you want to store the artifacts of your build pipeline. Um, and this is one of the things that the dashboard service helps with, but that's that's not that's not required. But yeah, so these, these video recordings are really cool. And and I would say that um, you know I've actually benefited a lot recently from these video recordings because I I manage like various uh, projects. And um, one of the projects, I just didn't have like the recent branch and I didn't have it all set up. I hadn't like, you know, set up the whole project locally in in a little while. And I knew that there was a, I had to review this PR. And, uh, you know, someone pinged me about it, like, hey, review this PR. And then I was like, oh man, now I got to go set up this whole repo, blah, blah, blah. And, and there was a problem with the, with the PR, there was a test failure and uh, the error message wasn't really helpful. Like the the error message I was getting in CI, like it was useful, but it wasn't really telling me like what the issue is. So I went and opened up the video for that specific test run. And like two seconds later, it was immediately obvious because I got to see what happened, um, what the issue was. And then I made a quick, uh, quick comment on the PR and the PR was fixed and then we merged right away. So it's, This is kind of like the power of it all, being able to see what happens in a browser, which is immensely more powerful often than just, you know, error messages. We try our best to make the error messages helpful. We actually write a lot of the error messages by hand, like they're supposed to be very human readable instead of kind of just dumping like a whole stack trace (laughs) on your lap and be like, oh, I'll find out what happened. Um, We do try to give you a lot of guidance there, um, but there's just something really powerful about seeing how your app behaves and looks while it's under automation. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad that we have brought up the CI CD thing a couple times,
4: though, because as much as I love Cypress, I have not had a good story with the CI CD in a couple ways. And that is, I mean, primarily it's like I run a lot of my front end stuff on Netlify and um, oh, I use and GitLab. <laughs> yeah, and I use GitLab for. Um, my CI CD a lot and I've used circle CI as well and these services one of the issues with that I have with Cypress is that it when it's one of your dependencies it takes it increases the build time significantly and if you're using a service that tracks you know charges based on how long your builds are then that is and and you're running um you know builds and tests every every day because you have you know regular deploys going out then that's like affecting the bottom line and sometimes like some with netlify specifically some of the builds weren't running because it was timing out cuz cypress the dependency was just it was too big and taking too
2: long to download so yeah this is a thing with every ci and the thing is that the, the solution is simple and it's one thing that kind of people overlook is you can actually cache dependencies uh, in CI. So you, you know, it only needs to download Cypress once. And then after that, uh, it, nothing gets affected. Um, so this is what we do ourselves, because you know, we, we run, we run Circle CI a lot. Um, we use GitHub Actions. We actually use all the CI services because we provide examples um, in all of them and we test uh, you know, uh, different things in different services. And so yeah, the simple solution there is just CI caching. Some providers make this really easy, um, like Circle. Uh, we actually uh, provide an official Circle CI orb. Um, Circle CI orbs is kind of this really easy way. Think of like what npm uh, did for JavaScript packages. Circle is doing for CI configurations. And you can actually use the Cypress orb, which makes like setting up Cypress and CI like a few a few lines of config. And then it handles the caching for you. Um, we provide a, an official one for GitHub Actions as well. Um, and we have examples of how to do it in, in all sorts of other um, CI providers as well. So the trick there is just to cache your dependency. Um, and, and Cypress is naturally a larger dependency because uh, it has to, um, you know, uh, it's like a whole binary and drives the browser and all that good stuff. And it has to, it, it like, uh, brings in a, a whole version of um, Electron as well. Yeah, if you have a, a
4: link to, like, a useful article on yes uh, dependency dependency caching. I'm sure that you guys have some resource like that. Give it to yeah. us, and we'll we'll post it in the show notes for
2: sure. Yeah, we'll put in the show notes. We actually have a whole like example kitchen sink repository where we have created kind of like a table of example CI configs for every uh, popular CI provider. And yeah, and mm-hmm. the question you're asking is kind of like the first thing uh, everybody ends up asking when it comes to uh, setting up Cypress and CI. It's just you just gotta it, it turned on uh, cache, um, dependency caching. Yeah.
4: Okay, cool. So now I've got my dependency caching issue solved. Thank you very much. Uh, now can you walk me through maybe a little bit of like, uh, the process around like, the CI story once I have all that set up, like what does that look like in terms of running my tests and and making sure that it's optimized for? I mean, I, I know that in a uh, in a CI environment, I don't actually want my browser opening up, right? Because that's running on someone else's cloud server. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. So, you know, it, the story is pretty similar across all CI providers. Um, when Cypress runs uh, in CI, you're going to use the Cypress run mode. Um, Cypress has two modes. Uh, there's the open mode and then there's the run mode. Open mode is, yeah, that's what you use locally um, in your local development experience. You do Cypress open in the terminal and then Cypress opens up and then you get to see everything. But when you're trying to run things headlessly, you type Cypress run and it just, uh, it doesn't bring up the, the browser visually. Um, so it kind of runs in a, a quote unquote headless manner in CI. That's pretty much it there. And then, you know, you get the video recording and the screenshots. um, But, you know, we can kind of talk about how to write tests that are probably up that kind of set you up to do other things uh, in CI. So, for example, it's good to write tests that don't depend on each other um, across like multiple spec files. And this kind of sets you up in a good place to do parallelization, uh, which is something that if you're working on a large project that it's going to take a while to run because it's a huge project. Um, uh, you know, you want to be able to parallelize. Um, and so it's recommended that you don't write tests that, that depend on each other. And this also kind of depends on how your testing infrastructure is set up. So, you know, like for us, when we run our tests, um, like for our own, like React, you know, Vue, whatever projects, uh, we spin up a version of our own infrastructure for, uh, for testing. And so, you know, we have, like, a dedicated database for testing that kind of gets provisioned per execution of every single spec file. In um, this way, you don't have two, ta- two like, spec files being executed in parallel talking to the same database where they can kind of, like, delete something while the other one needs something else in the process. So the recommendation there is to, you know, uh, write tests that don't really depend on each other. And they can run in execution. They can run in isolation. Um, uh, and so that's, that's one recommendation there. And, uh, and, you know, once a project gets large enough, parallelization is one of the things that I think folks should definitely take a look at. Um, parallelization, you know, feels and acts, you know, differently uh, than what you might expect with when you're doing unit testing. So, if, for example, when using Jest and doing unit testing, Jest automatically figures out, like, you know, an optimal way to just execute every little test um, in parallel. Um, and if you don't want it to do that, you have to like pass in the run in band, run, run in band flag. So everything runs in a serial manner. Um, but when Cypress tries to parallelize, um, it, uh, it does parallelization at a, at a spec file level, not at the test level. Um, and, uh, we do this for, for various reasons, but this also means that it's best to write tests that, um, that don't depend on each other.
0: You were talking about the database uh, issue where if something's writing to the database. Is there a solution in uh, built into Cypress for mocking that kind of connection? Yes. Or should you should you just not mock so you have the full end-to-end experience or well? You're talking there? about
2: one of the classical philosophical <laughs> issues of, of the time. But, no, but we, we, we have we have you know various opinions on that. So when you are when you are end-to-end testing an app, the ideal situation is you just get to touch everything with one test, right? Like you touch your controllers, you touch your, you know, model layers, you touch your database, everything gets kind of, gets tested and validated. Uh, now, often that is not possible for some projects. Some people might be, you know, dealing with, a pro, you know, a infrastructure that they don't really control. Maybe they're just a the front end team and they don't really have say, a say on how like the backend infrastructure is set up. Maybe it's a large like microservices kind of setup. Um, or maybe they just, you know, are working on a really old app where things are very hard to change. So at that point, you kind of have, you can assess if you would like to mock certain things. So ideally, you can have control over everything and you can provision real systems that, that can be tested. But if you can't, then your next best bet is to mock certain things. So you can mock your API um, that would naturally be the thing that talks to your backend. One way to do that is, you know, Cypress does a really good job of of handling uh, network mocking. Uh, It's actually really easy to set up. And it's one of those things that people do with Cypress that's like two lines of code. And then people can't believe like, wow, it was only two lines of code. So, yeah, with Cypress, we provide two commands to do this. We have a cy.server command. And this kind of uh, essentially starts kind of like a proxy server inside Cypress where your network requests can go through. And the next thing you do is you can use the side. route command to declare an API route. And then you can say, well, I want this API route to return this response, or I want it to return this status code, or I want the response to be delayed by four seconds. Uh, you can just do whatever you want. And then this it just mocks like an API endpoint, which, which would have touched a real database. So some people can actually essentially test their entire view app without a, without a backend at all because they can just mock everything. And this is this is especially helpful when you're iterating on a project where maybe the backend isn't ready or or being developed at the same speed as the front end. Um, but yeah, like doing doing the mocking of you know interactions
0: with the backend is is uh, is really simple. Okay, I was I was a little curious about that because I'd seen tools like Mirage JS that bills itself as being able to write a whole server in your browser yeah. and that it works well with Cypress. I was just curious if there was already something there for Cypress or not. That's yeah, good to I mean, know.
2: Yeah, it's just built in like network request mocking is just built into Cypress. I think what Mirage is doing and, and I would and that's just from my cursory look at it or from when it was launched. Uh I believe it's kind of like you you actually add it to your project and like the app itself is doing the mocking whereas uh whereas like with Cypress you you're just handling the mocking everything set up and and all that just right within your test files. So it's just a uh, different on how you kind of set up the mocking. But uh but uh, but maybe Mirage has some other flexibilities, and I, I would actually like to learn more about that. Um, yeah. but, I, I've, yeah.
0: I've played with Mirage a little bit in Jest testing, so it was it was oh, kind of fun to that? use there. It was all right. I was able to set up the server. It, in Jest, actually, it didn't work with Axios, because Axios running in Jest is using the HTTP library as opposed to either Fetch or the AJAX request. So... Mirage wasn't able to catch that, but in the browser it's perfectly fine. So I would imagine it works well with Cypress. Yeah, uh, yeah. doing it that way. Yeah, I did see some examples of uh, people just setting it up with uh, with Cypress.
2: But yeah, so that's just a, that's just like another nice uh, little integration there. But yeah, I mean with uh, with mocking, I think people should also consider, as I said, like it's ideal to mock less or potentially never mock. But in the real world, that answer is very different because. Oftentimes, you might have to make requests to very heavy or costly endpoints or endpoints that take a long time to give you a response, and that's just not, like, you know, mm-hmm. viable when you're running things in CI. Um, so at that point, a good option is, is to mock that and we provide, you know, various ways to do that. We also have this ability to kind of uh, set up and use data fixtures in, in combination with uh, doing network mocking that just makes that even, uh, even easier. So you just have a lot of options um, based on what your needs are. Cool. Thank you.
0: I know we, we had talked about browsers earlier. I've just got a quick question. Is it possible to test mobile browsers at all? Is there any any solution for that, or is that something that might be coming later? yeah that's that's something uh, uh, that's that's definitely in the works
2: uh, you know in the future. Um, obviously, mobile you know <laughs> is a, is a big target for testing, and that's something you know a lot of developers spend their time doing. But with Cypress, you can actually still get a good amount of confidence when it comes to, you know, how mobile friendly uh, your app is, because Cypress allows you to completely change the viewport and the and the user agent of uh, of an of your app. So that allows you to kind of at least simulate, you know, uh, visual changes within your app, like responsive changes. And then also, if you change the user agent, some apps rely on just looking up the user agent to figure out like what kind of experience they should be serving to the user. Um, or you know they'll toggle different features based off user agent um, so you can still do that with Cypress um, to kind of simulate uh, you know a, a, a bit of the mobile environment um, but uh, but naturally the ideal situation would be to run in like you know uh, the real mobile browser instance um, and that's something that's that's definitely in our eyes for the future cool thank you you know for what it's worth I think I'll point out and I can put this in the show notes
1: that there's a blog post uh, on the Cypress blog about testing Vue web applications with Vuex data store and a rest backend. So yeah. that would probably have some yeah, good, yeah, that uh, good specific that examples of, of how yeah. to do this.
2: Yeah, that one's pretty good. And I think that one touches on like the whole tapping into the internal state of your app um, to be able to just assert things or, or run particular actions. Like one of the one of, one ways that I like using it has been just like for the login scenario, because I usually handle all that in Vuex. So I have like a login action. And if I want to programmatically log in a user, I just tap into my you know, uh, Vuex login action and then I just trigger that. And then my user is instantly logged in.
0: Well, great. Does anyone else have any questions or should we wrap up? Uh, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I don't have any all more right. questions. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today, Amir. No problem. It was a pleasure. Where can people find you online so they can learn more about this awesome... Uh, technology that you work with
2: i try to be very accessible and hopefully helpful on twitter Um, you can drop a link in the show notes but i am amir Rustam at twitter and i have my dms open so if you have any questions uh i try my best to to reach out and then um if you do need to reach out to me via email just amir at cypress.io awesome thank you
0: for our panelists austin where can people learn more about you um Pretty much everywhere um, at Stegosaurus. So
4: Stegosaurus, like the dinosaur, and source, like source code. And Steve, where
1: can we find you? I'm most everywhere. My username is wonder95, and there's a story behind that, um, on Twitter, on GitHub. And then my blog site is my little company name, smgaweb.com. I'm going to start
0: trying to blog there a little more. Great, thank you. And you can find me on Twitter at Yaga Bush, which will be in the show notes uh, or on GitHub at Lindsay K. Wardell, Lindsay with an A.
3: Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, the max coders guide to finding your dream developer job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want Vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv/jobbook. That's devchat.tv/jobbook. Let's move on to picks.
0: Amir, as our guest, would you like to start, or should I go oh, to yeah. one of our uh, panelists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I
2: got, uh, I got one ready. I've been recently using this uh, cool new tool called Whimsical. Um, It's just at whimsical.com. And essentially, it's a nice uh, tool for creating mind maps or uh, like flows, uh, flow diagrams, or also kind of handling like brainstorming and things like that. It's just a really nice, like simple implementation of all that because I've used various tools for kind of visualizing ideas and and things. And there's a lot of good stuff out there, but this one I was very impressed by because it was just so easy to use. It was kind of like the quintessential, uh, you know, like make something really simple and do it really well. Um, And so they've kind of really accomplished that. So I've been using that um, for for various projects, uh, creating my maps to kind of figure out like the scope of a project um, or just to kind of get, get you know, materialize my ideas onto the screen. And, um, and it makes uh, collaboration easy as well. So you can kind of invite coworkers, buddies, and, and just collaborate there as well. So yeah, Whimsical, I, I, you know, I highly recommend it. And I believe they just did an um, integration with Notion. So if you're a Notion user, you can like embed your Whimsical like diagrams right in Notion. So that's pretty neat.
0: Cool, I'll take a look at that.
2: Austin, do you have a pick today? Yeah, I
4: got two picks. They're, I'm going to design related path today and I'm going to pick Figma, Figma.com. It's a, uh, sort of like a sketch alternative. It's really awesome. Um, the fact that it's browser based, so it's, uh, it's cross platform and they, they are doing a really awesome job. Um, they give you a whole bunch in their free plan and, You have prototyping and collaboration, and you can export things to SVG, which I love. And it comes out with a whole bunch of, um, or comes out without a whole bunch of crap in it. So you just get just the SVG. So it's great. I love it. And then along with that, uh, I'm going to pick a little app called IcoMoon. I'm actually really surprised that I haven't seen this brought up more. Um, but anytime you're, uh, creating a, like an icon library, for an application. My preferred way is to only have the icons that I need and use SVG. And Icomoon just has a really, really awesome way of providing a whole bunch of uh, MIT license or Apache license or uh, various different licensed icon packs. You can purchase some icon packs. You can import your own icon packs. And then you can kind of export your own library and it makes it makes that whole process really easy and 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 really
0: nice very cool i will i will also second figma we used that at at work on my last project and it was an excellent tool so i could work with the uh esa who is also my graph my uh designer as he was putting everything together for me so real quick figma is browser-based
1: is that right it's not like a desktop app that you download or is it one or both that's right i
0: think it's both no, just in the browser. Oh, is it? Do they have a download? Is it just in well, the browser? It does work in the browser. I thought they had a download. Ooh. Yeah, I think if they have a download, it's just an electron wrapper. Yeah, probably. Steve, what picks do you have? Oh, it's great, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've heard Figma used to, on other podcasts and other people use it, so it seems to be fairly popular. Uh, I'm going to go the musical route today. I quit listening to, to radio years ago because, you know, they play the songs that I of life the first million times I, I heard them anymore and so uh i tend to stick with the older proven stuff and once in a while i'll pick up something new if it comes to my attention so but i have you know certain number of whole albums that i'll go back to that i'd like to listen to when i'm at work or, you know working and so uh you know usually when people when i hear people talking about you know music for coding um it generally tends to be a little more mellow and, you know, something that's not going to really interrupt you. I personally like to crank it up and blow out the speakers once in a while when I'm working. And so one of my favorite albums is from 2011, and it's by Switchfoot, and it's called Vice Versus. Um, this was, I first got into Switchfoot after their Dare To Move, which was, I think, an album that was really popular song um, before this one. But Vice Versus, top to bottom, is just a lot of guitars, really loud, some really good tunes. Some of them that I've almost blown speakers out of my car sometimes, but, uh, for a good straight ahead rock and roll type album, uh, it's got a decent amount of variety in it too. It's really great. And I've gone to see Switchfoot a couple times and, uh, I always love it when they play the songs from this album. So, uh, yeah, it's called Vice Versus.
0: Cool. Thank you. I have two picks today. One is hopeful. One is practical. As we're recording, we are in the middle of the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And there's a website that I've been using since it all started uh, to try and follow what's going on. And that is covid19info.live. It was created by somebody, I found it on Reddit. Uh, The guy that created it was doing it just as a a side project. He was able to pull APIs uh, for infection rates. And he put together a whole website now. There's a world map that shows infection rates and graphs comparing it uh, across days and cumulative and against other um, infections that have happened recently. And then there's also a news feed that's, that's um, grabbing information out of The Guardian, Reuters, BBC, and New York Times. So it's it's a good resource. Um, and it's really cool to see how he used uh, Chart.js, uh, which is a good library for building charts. The other more hopeful pick is hay.com. This isn't out yet, so this is why it's hopeful. Basecamp put together a website, and they're putting together a, a platform to reimagine what email is supposed to be like. They give their whole reasoning for that and explaining why email is an excellent tool, if we can just use it the right way. And so they're wanting to start email in their view the right way. So I'm, it's supposed to be coming out in April, which I think is when this episode will be airing. So if you're interested, that is hey.com. And those are my picks today.
1: You know, along the lines of the, the COVID stuff, one thing I'll throw in there, I don't know if you've seen it, is the ArcGIS map that Johns Hopkins University has put out that shows all the, they update it. They started, said this, initially did it like every, you know, hour or some interval. And pretty soon it's just like, as fast as we get data, we're putting it up. Uh, but it's really slick. And then um, I'll put the link in the show notes. And then like here in Oregon, the state of Oregon built an identical, you know, using the same tool set uh, to do one for Oregon. Uh, But it's a really, really great uh, way to just to see from a visual standpoint, the outbreaks from, uh, you know, on a map and being able to look at the different statistics
0: for each country. Yeah, it's been really helpful for me um, processing everything that's going on. Oh, cool. Amir, thank you again for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. I hope everyone has enjoyed our talk about Cyprus. If you'd like to hear more from us at, you can you can find us at viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv and we're also on Twitter at Viewsonview. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a wonderful week. See you next time.
3: Adios. Have a good one everyone. Yeah. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.